Issues involving health, education, and external pressures are negatively affecting our younger generations. My name is Anya Parashar. I'm a high school student and an advocate for mental health. Join me as I explore and learn about these issues and their possible solutions with various experts and leaders around the country. This podcast is affiliated with Project ECHO, Extension for Community Health Outcomes, a worldwide nonprofit organization that spreads critical and life-saving knowledge to various communities across the globe. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Hi everyone, welcome back to the fourth episode of the Lifter Podcast. Today I have a super important guest on, Mireya Macias. Mireya worked alongside her friends this year to create and pass legislation that will provide menstrual products in all public school bathrooms in the state of New Mexico. Today we talk a little bit about the intersections between public health and education, the process of creating legislation, as well as how to create change in local communities like she did. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Um, I want to start out by just talking about how Red Tax originally came to be. So you guys started out by getting menstrual products for Academy, uh, your high school, and then you guys created mock legislation for New Mexico youth and government. Where did that idea originate and how did that turn into legislation for the state? Yeah, Um, I think each of us were very intentional about having our work, having the project, the legislation rooted in our communities. So I think that's exactly where it started. So through conversations with members of the academy community and the larger Albuquerque and New Mexican communities. But like, you're exactly right. We started with issue education at academy through like menstrual product drives. And then also like different club fair initiatives that we just really wanted folks to understand what is menstruation and move from there. But um, after we did that, we drafted our first bill, took it to the youth government setting. And then we decided to find legislators who were also very passionate about menstrual equity and aligned in the reproductive um, justice space. But I mean, I, I think for me personally, it was working with Congresswoman Stansbury not too long ago. And I remember we, I, I was part of a team that took her to school-based health centers in the South Valley. And I know you're very interested in the school-based health center space. And I, I remember just having this discussion with educators, with physicians, with students, and we were talking about like, what, what does community health care mean? What does community health mean? And for me, like understanding that these issues, public public health and education are interconnected. And then that's how I address all of my policy issues. All of my all of the legislation should be somehow connected to something else. And I mean, that's how people's lives are. So I think that's just understanding that we're all in that space that is very interconnected. I remember you guys working on this last year um, and you guys were, I think we were in a advisory setting and you had made a video. Um, and even then just, you know, realizing that you guys were very proactive about this um, and trying to get it done as fast as possible. It was very admirable. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about HB 134. That's the house bill that you guys wrote and passed. States, And it states that menstrual products be provided in all women's and gender neutral bathrooms and at least one men's bathroom in each public school in New Mexico. So over the past few months, you guys have been back and forth between Santa Fe and Albuquerque to get that legislation passed. What was that process like? And were there any moments that were like really hard for you guys to get through? Yeah, 
Um, I think the speed is definitely just like, first of all, like side note, but speed is definitely just about like how short the sessions are. We have 30 and 60 day sessions this year. It was 60 days. So it's definitely like a full sprint. Mm -hmm. That was something that I definitely, I think all of us had to get used to. Like we were not pros. And I I think that's something that um, when I, when I usually talk about like my legislative experience working on this bill is people usually think we had a lot of like outside experience or that we were already like clued into the New Mexico legislative, um, I guess, experience. And we were not like I had limited previous experience. I mean, I had, I had issue education. Like I knew enough about the health and education policy space in New Mexico to like survive. So like we all had our niches. We all understood like what we were doing in a basic sense, but it was a, it was a lot of learning, um, a huge crash course into New Mexico civics and I mean, we just had a lot of supporters who really helped us. Like a lot of legislators were had our backs, very fortunate for that. Um, but the process was like really after we drafted the bill, um, trying to get it heard in committee. That was, I think we, I think we waited like two weeks and we did not know what we were doing. So, but getting it on to the committee um, floor and then eventually appropriations, like that was like a whole fiasco too. But um, I mean, as you know, New Mexico is a volunteer legislature, which means that LLC, the Leg- Legislative Finance Committee, has a lot of power. And I don't think coming into this, I fully understood that. I was a little naive that like how much money really matters. Like, of course, money matters. But in New Mexico, money money matters a lot. So we were fighting for originally a $5 million appropriation for the bill, which was recommended by PED. And essentially, oops, so sorry. You're good. Okay. Essentially, what happens is that um, PED and LESC and LFC all have a budget and they recommend budgets. And then the legislators, so HAFC, the House Appropriations and Finance Committee, either says yay or nay. And they usually pick the lower one. So yeah. That's what, and they pick the $1 million one. But I know my fear was that, like, I, I did not want to go in there with an underfunded mandate. I mean, I can't expect public schools, we can't expect public schools to to go through with something that they can't afford. So we eventually got to 3 million, which I was very happy about. That was like the lowest number we could go. And I mean, it was it was a lot of fighting for that, but there were a lot of little little language things that I had no idea were like so important before that we really just had to comb through. And I mean... Yeah, it's it's very crazy. I remember talking to I think it was Noor, and it was very clear how passionate you guys were because of how much you were fighting for it. And I think that every little aspect of the bill you guys were very adamant about, and that's why it got to where it is today. Um, and one of those specific pieces was the clause about menstrual products in men's bathrooms. And that clause sparked some concern amongst um, certain representatives. And so how important was it to hold your ground on that idea that menstruation is not just a women's issue? Okay, that, that makes me really happy that you said that. Yeah. Um, but like, exactly. Menstruation is not just a woman's issue. Like, you watched, well, you were forced to watch all of our <laughs> things. But like, exactly. That's exactly what we were trying to, trying to show everyone that like, not just... I, people who identify as women menstruate. And, and um, I, I remember being asked by one of the legislators, a more conservative legislator, 
And she told, she told, I think each of us this, but she was like, why are you so focused on these like, quote unquote, like women's issues? And I was like, well, the answer is basically that we focus on our communities. And last time I checked, women are an integral part of our communities. And I mean, yes, women are probably the majority, are definitely the majority of menstruators. And it is important to acknowledge that, but it's also very important to acknowledge that there are other people in our communities that we try to have this intersectional approach to menstruation. And we we took a lot of time meeting with Adrian Lawyer from the Transgender Resource Center. We met with folks from EQNM. And I mean, I don't have experience as a transgender individual, so I have to get my information from outside. I don't have that lived experience. And so each of us had to try and meet with those people and understand their perspectives. And we did have individuals who were trans identifying testify in support of the bill. So, I mean, it's just understanding that there's a larger experience to these issues that seem that are quote unquote women's issues. Yeah. Speaking about getting support from outside um, sources, I think throughout the past few months, you guys have received support from multiple different representatives um, across the state, as well as recognitions from different news sources, such as the Albuquerque Journal, KUNM, uh, the Daily Lobo, and, and so many other organizations. What does that support mean to you and how has it helped you navigate throughout this whole process? Yeah. Um, like, like, you know, it was like a really wild ride. Like you yeah. got to like, you had a front seat to see what was going on. But I, I know that each of us are like just eternally grateful for all of the students, the organizations um, and members of our community who really just supported us and then also trusted us with their stories. We had wonderful individuals through Indigenous Women Rising, through a um, whole, whole number of you know, organizations and just individuals who really came out and put their best foot forward and like really had support for HP 134. And I think each of us know that we would not be here without them. Like, I, I don't think that the bill would have gotten the governor's signature if we did not have that much support. And all of us know that, I mean, I understand that I was, I was definitely raised to understand that our communities are our foundations. So, having that foundational community support is integral. Like nothing would have happened without that. But I mean, you also, I, I keep saying this, New Mexico is a volunteer legislature. So, I mean, all of us really understood that going into this, since New Mexico was a volunteer legislature, we, we needed that community support. So it was, it's not like it was an afterthought to get it. Like we, we understood that we needed a lot of organizational support since we were a smaller group of people, we, it was our first time we needed that guidance. And we had lovely folks like Sarisha Monet, um, other, other individuals who really came to us and were like, okay, this is how you, you read like the feed bill. This is how you, you understand appropriations. And it's like, if I did not um, get that knowledge, get that like really good groundwork, I don't think we could have done this. And I mean, it takes a village truly. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's funny you talk about these things that we don't really learn in high school. Um, you don't learn how to do this. And so as high school students, passing legislation surely has not been the only thing that is going on, um, especially as seniors, too. How have you navigated school and passing the legislation and um, all the other commitments that you guys have going on? Yeah, um, it, it was certainly one of the most like stressful and exciting experiences of my life. We, like, you know, all of us were pretty, we can be very high strung, very ambitious, very goal oriented. 
Um, but I think each of us really truly does care about our communities. And that was something that was really, was at the heart of it. If I was, if it was not for the communities that raised me, like, why am I doing this? It's, yeah. I have to understand why we're doing it. And I, I think, I think we did a good job in the end of it, but, um, but you're right. We were also students like traveling from Albuquerque to Santa Fe almost on a daily basis. And that, that can be rough with school and college applications and like, like, I don't know, I've, I've told a lot of, I like to joke that like, I have, a, I had like a 50% acceptance, not acceptance, 50% attendance record at the end of the year. So it was pretty abysmal. Like Dr. Lenhart had to like sign off on a lot of my things to like go visit like my school, like to go, to go do different things like that. And um, I mean, we made it through and I mean, we had a lot of teachers who were very supportive. Like there were some teachers who let us turn to work late. There were I had my sister who would help me do things that I would usually do for my abuelos, like really had that community support. I had that, that little community just to help me get through it. But yeah. That's so sweet. Um, I want to talk a little bit about now. And so now that the bill is passed, what's next for the red tax? Yeah. Okay. So I, I mean, I'm not, I think we're still working on that. But what I will say is that I, I I tend to do a lot of my work as a community builder, a storyteller, and, and an advocate. So I think whatever Red Tax does, whatever each of us do in the future will be along those lines, along those parameters. But what I really hope for the Red Tax in the future is I know that we are basically, uh, we focus in the areas of reproductive justice and healthcare mm -hmm. um, and education. So those those intersections. But Right now, I really think that we need to put more effort into modernizing our legislature. So, I mean, like, you know, my niche is definitely health policy, but I've noticed that it's very difficult to pass legislation in the state of New Mexico. We have a 19% passage rate, which is pretty abysmal compared to other states, which are sitting about a 35 to 36 on average. So in order to pass good policy, I know that we need to modernize our legislature, which means paying legislators, which means giving them a staff. Like the fact that we, like I, we, I was 17, I think Nor was the youngest was 16. Like we were working as staffers. Like we didn't have the full, we weren't fully under, we couldn't fully do that. Like there were limitations to what we could actually do there for, for our legislators. And just I, a citizen legislature doesn't work to promote effective government. So there's a lot of work that I think Red Tax can help with other organizations and other community members to facilitate that. That's awesome. I know you guys are truly amazing heading off to college in a few months. Um, and this question I ask to all of the people I interview at the end, um, it's very inspiring to see youth make change through government. I think in a country where in recent months um, we've had the overturning of Roe v. Wade um, and things like that, a lot of lack of action and support for youth issues. And so uh, this has, you know, discouraged a lot of our generation. I've seen personally, I'm sure you have seen this as well. Um, we've lost a lot of faith in our government. And so what message can you send out to other teens like you who want to make a change in their community, but maybe don't know where to start? Yeah. I, I think that distrust is is growing more prominently, just as you said. But um I think first I would like just to say that I'm 
I'm, I'm proud of our generation and proud of um, our gente for kind of moving forward in that way and educating themselves on these issues that I don't think we've seen in a while, like educating on educating themselves on the history of the issues as well. New Mexico has such a really complicated and tangled history with, um, well, between the U.S., Mexico, indigenous populations, and then colonization, Spain. So, I mean, even when I'm thinking about just basic policy issues, I think about the colonial history and the indigenous history of our communities. But um, yeah, I, I would say definitely start start within your community. Start by educating yourself on on the issues that matter to you, your family, the people that you interact with every day. And I mean, from there, move forward and think about possible solutions because most of the time, what, whatever you are thinking is probably, if it's, if it's embedded in your community, it's probably a good solution and you can move forward and, and work towards that with, with them. I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of things that each of us can do and just remembering that you have the power to change your community and that truly change begins with our communities. I know I'm like a broken record here, but like comunidad, like always, always, um, para siempre. Pero, um, but, and also just like acting in silos never works out. So even when we're developing like, like small, small changes um, with Red Tax or in other organizations that I've worked with, I always have to, I always map it out. I'm like, okay, we're working here, but how are we going broader? Or how are we going deeper into this? So I feel like, and if we're not bringing in members of the community, then, then like really what are we doing? So it's always engaging, always moving forward, always having those conversations. Thank you so much for listening to the Lifter Podcast with Project Echo. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.